You're listening to the Gavel and Pestle Podcast with Darshan Kulkarni. The Gavel and Pestle Podcast, where the law of the land intersects with the business of pharmacy. All right, all right, all right. Hey, this is Darshan. Just before uh, you listen to the podcast, make sure you remember, this is not legal advice. This is also not medical advice, and um, it's not construction advice, so don't take construction advice from me. Also, this does not create an attorney-client relationship, so don't be saying that I just gave you legal advice again. Talk to a lawyer who knows you, that can give you advice that's right for you. Thanks again. Keep listening. We'll talk soon. Ow, that hurts my ears. The old whistleblower. All righty. Welcome back to the Gavel and Pestle podcast. I'm Todd Yuri, the co-host. We have Darshan. Darshan, what are you doing? I'm here. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm excited. And thank you for having me. Now, wait a second. Did you just blow that whistle? You weren't supposed to know that. I know. You're hiding it or something. That hurts. <laughs> it's like I'm clearing out my ears right now. So that is the subject. Whistleblowers. Tell you what, interesting on uh, August 22nd article, who is protecting Social Security whistleblowers? And it's out of Madison, Wisconsin, longtime Social Security Administration legal assistant Ron Klein says he faithfully followed the federal code of ethics that requires government employees to disclose waste, fraud, abuse, and corruption to appropriate authorities. And now, what do you know? He's out of a job. So what's really interesting about the concept of whistleblowing, just like in our last segment when we were talking about the balance between employer rights and employee rights, and there has to be a balance uh, with regards to non-competes and non-disclosures and giving away trade secrets, now let's talk about whistleblowing because, uh, once again, there has to be a balance between the employer's rights and the employee's rights. So, Darshan, you're the expert here. That's why we even created the show in the first place. So tell us about the whole concept and what's happening specifically in the world of, uh, of pharmacy. So, so let's sort of start from talking about whistleblowers. Um, and, and whistleblowing comes in many, many forms. It's the, so let, let's start with what is a whistleblower. Basically, a whistleblower is the guy who's going to go to an organization, often the, D, um, often the DOJ, often the government in some form, and tells them, we think there's a law being broken. Um, and, and we think you should investigate this further. Um, in the case of healthcare, the big primary law that's get, that gets used is what's called the False Claims Act. There are obviously things like the anti-kickback law, there's the uh, Civil Monetary Penalties Act, there is um, the Stark Law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, the big behemoth in the room is the False Claims Act. And what does that act say? It says that anyone who knowingly presents a false or fraudulent claim to the government for payment or approval, or knowingly makes or uses a false record or statement material to a false or fraudulent claim is civilly liable to the federal government. Basically, if you took any kind of claim and made it to the government to ask to get paid, that and, and that's part of a false record, that is a problem and you may get sued. On June 30th, 2016, the DOJ in, uh, issued an interim final rule that increased the minimum amount of penalties for a false, claim, um, false claims act violation from $5,500 to $10,781. 
and the maximum from $11,000 to $21,563. So you're going, eh, that doesn't sound that bad. $10,000, if I can have a good time, if I can get a lot of money, it might be worth it. Well, here's the bad news. That's for every, um, every transaction. So this type of uh, transaction adds up. Those pharmaceutical penalties that people have heard of, the, the multi-billion dollar fines that were paid, uh, I believe, um, the, uh, I think almost eight of the top 10 fines that were paid uh, by the, in the False Claims Act area were uh, pharmaceutical fines. And they were um, anywhere from a billion dollars to about $3 billion. I believe GSK was the highest one at about $3 billion. I could be wrong. Uh, I think Pfizer was like 2.1. And that all comes, starts at least, from the False Claims Act. So you're going, okay, well, that's just the pharmaceutical companies. How does that apply to me? Well, it applies to you because the False Claims Act is very, very broad. It's not a new law. It's literally known as Lincoln's Law because it came about around the same time. It gets used in defense contracting all the time as well. But it applies a lot in the healthcare field. Pharmacists, physicians, um, nursing homes, they all may be liable under the False Claims Act. So, okay, so the False Claims Act, the government may, may, take my, uh, may take my money, but how would they even find out about this? Well, under the False Claims Act, whistleblowers can receive between 15 to 25% of the amount recovered in an action if the government chooses to intervene in the lawsuit, and between 25 to 30% of the proceeds if the government does not intervene. Now, remember, we're talking multi-billion dollar fines. Those numbers add up very quickly. So if you work in a pharmacy, if you own a pharmacy, whistleblowers are a major part of what you do. Um, so, so let's start from that. So you've got a situation where you could have whistleblowers. Well, why don't we just simply take a situation where we'll just tell whistleblowers, don't do it. Well, that's not gonna work very well. Well, what are my other options? Well, you could fire an employee because, uh, because they're gonna whistleblow. Well, that's not gonna go down very, very well. Um, so I, I highly recommend that's not the basis on which you fire people, because uh, that could come back to bite you very quickly. Um, there have been situations where people have been let go, and then they have this exit interview. And then they have this package that goes out to them and, and as part of um, their process of leaving the facility, what they'll get is, if you sign this agreement, uh, we will let you have not only your last paycheck, which you're required to be able to get, but also an extra $1,000 because you agree not to tell anyone about uh, the stuff we, we've done. And that's very common. Well, the SEC is just one of the organizations who you could be whistleblowing with, but there have been some settlements. Uh, and we're gonna use the SEC as one of the examples because there's some court cases that came out and some settlements that came out within the last month. Um, and, and, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. So rule 21F uh, provides that no person may take any action to impede an, an individual from communicating directly with the SEC about a possible securities law violation including enforcing or threatening to enforce a confidentiality agreement. So your confidentiality agreements, if they have a component saying, I'm not gonna tell the government about the bad, bad things you do, that may be problematic. 
One of the first settlements was like we discussed on um, August 10, 2016. And there was a cease and desist order against Atlanta-based building products distributor called Blue Links. Um, the SEC's order alleged that Blue Links used severance agreements, like the agreements we just talked about, uh, that required outgoing employees to waive their rights to monetary rewards. Um, what it basically said was that the employee has not and in the future will not disclose to any third party confidential information as compelled by law and after uh, to Blue Links. If the employee has any questions regarding what data or information will be considered to Blue considered by Blue Links to be information subject to this provision, the employee agrees to contact Blue Links' legal department in writing uh, for clarification. So let's get this straight. We're going to be in a situation where the employee agrees not to tell anyone, but if they do decide to tell someone, They'll, they'll talk to the Blue Links legal department. Well, that's not going to go very well. Blue Links, I'd like to tell you that I'm whistleblowing on you. <laughs> Obviously, they are. most people aren't. That's not going to go very well. People aren't big fans. Um, the release was later updated to say that the employee further acknowledges and agrees that nothing in this agreement prevents the employee from filing a, relation, a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the National Labor Relations Board, and the and basically OSHA. Uh, OSHA, SEC, or any other administrative agency, if applicable law requires that employee be permitted to do so. However, employee understands and agrees that the employee is waiving the right to any monetary recovery in connection with any such complaint or charge that employee may file with an administrative agency. Okay, what does that actually mean? Basically, yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and, and tell people, you can go ahead and, uh, and tell the EEOC or the SEC or um, HHS, whoever you want to talk to. But you agree not to get those 25% fine, uh, 25% penalties that that you could have been um, that you could have gotten, and if that can add into the millions of dollars, most people are saying, "Well, I'm not going to kill my career without without being able to get that kind of money." Here's what the SEC said: by requiring departing employees to notify the company's legal department prior to disclosing any financial or business information to any third parties without expressly exempting the commission from the scope of this restriction, the company forced those employees to choose between identifying themselves with the company as whistleblowers or potentially losing the severance pay and benefits. Well, that's not gonna look good. The SEC further stated that restrictions on the ability of employees to share confidential corporate information regarding possible securities law violation with the commission and to accept financial awards for, for providing information to the commission, such as those uh, contained in the severance agreement, undermine the purpose of Section 21F and violate Rule 21F by impeding uh, in individuals. So basically, the SEC was not a big fan. There was another settlement uh, that came in very recently, and it involved allegations that California-based health insurance provider, HealthNet, used severance agreements expressly requiring employees to waive their ability to obtain SEC whistleblower awards. Again, both of these companies settled um, for between $265,000 and $340,000 and agreed to a number of undertakings. Number one, their waiver and release claims would, would be changed and updated. So so what do you think, Todd? Does that sort of make sense? Do you, do you see, well, maybe we should yeah. talk a little bit about how this applies to pharmacies. Definitely, maybe but it, when, I, when I listen and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, there's one side of me once again that plays the employee uh, role that says, hey, listen, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to do a very good job. I'm here to be innovative, creative, to make a mark, to be proud of what I do. I'm not a 
career whistleblower. And you know what makes me mad and flipping the coin to the employer side of things. And by the way, as an entrepreneur that was an employer, I got to I get to see both sides of this. Just like you, Darshan, you get to see both sides of this. So if if I have a good employee that comes to me about a policy, about a practice, about another employee, and they go through the process of bringing it to my open door policy and telling me first, giving me a chance as the head honcho, the CEO, the CFO, someone in executive management to change and to make the correction, then that's awesome. And that employee, which is a more of a private whistleblower, uh, because they at least followed that internal open door policy, gives me an opportunity to correct it. Now, if they're just out there looking for a, a, a fat sue me paycheck, you know that would really piss me off. That would really make me angry. And there are there are six or seven instances over the last two years with Glax, Glaxo Smith, for example, that that several very good career employees that weren't out to make a buck have been rewarded some money because of crazy things like a seven hundred a seven hundred and fifty million dollar payment to settle whistleblower allegations that led to the civil and criminal liability for manufacturing contaminated drugs at a facility in Puerto Rico and then selling them. I mean bravo to that person because they just probably saved some lives. So on mm-hmm. one side whistleblowers, you know, the honest ones, the ones that are out there just to make a buck and aren't making a career out of it and just trying to gouge, um, you know, their employer, then, you know, those guys protect their rights. But there are other employees out there, I'm sure, over the realm of the 100 last years of business, American business, that are probably jerk employees that look for anything and everything to try to rock the boat or, or, or benefit from financially and, you know, um, probably cause a lot of problems for the company. Absolutely, and and that's a huge problem. You have to balance both of those, and and the problem you have to often deal with is um, you have to be in situations where you you kind of go, okay, I could tell someone, but is it just going to fall on deaf ears? You you mentioned that having an open door policy that's absolutely essential. The question though is what happens after that open door policy? Is there an investigation? What types of processes do you have to ensure that um, that you're complying with these rules? Because how many employees want to come and tell you that you're violating the law if they know either that you're going to ignore it or even worse, take it out on them? Um, right. Th- there's it's very common to shoot the messenger, if you will, and that's exactly what these whistleblowing policies policies are trying to protect. So it absolutely makes sense to have these policies, uh, and we can have a whole other discussion on another point on how do you have a combined department, a a department that looks out and ensures that the different needs of the different stakeholders, including our patients, are being met. So um, whistleblowing is a massive issue uh, that every company that deals with healthcare needs to consider and actively take steps to manage. And if you aren't doing that already, I highly recommend you do. If you are doing it already, make sure that your, your policies are in place. Think, um, about, think little- about this. Think about the sensitivity. I'll give you some real live examples. So it's a slow day at the pharmacy. You got five, six, seven techs back there working. And you, you're a pharmacist. Let's even say you're the pharmacist in charge that day. 
Um, you look over, and one of your techs is just bored out of their minds. So they're in your pharmacy management system going through records out of curiosity just to look at, you know, hey, what's Miss Gillicuddy taking? Um, what's Frank Smith on Maple Street taking? What's, I mean, and you as the pharmacist in charge go over to that uh, tech and you're like, hey, you know, you can't do that. That's against HIPAA. You can't just flip through records because you're bored and, and flipping through a patient's record. That's not cool. you got to stop that. Okay, so if, if actions like that start to continue, then as the pharmacist in charge, as the technician that's part of that group, as the cashier that's uh, there, if something continues to happen, if you took that issue to a superior or to the owner of the organization uh kind of like an internal whistleblowing that could really help the organization uh prevent a major hipaa violation that could cost millions of dollars which i think i just described a situation that happened with one of the big national chains uh, a couple years ago it's very often very common and, and people don't even know, know they're doing anything wrong. That's one of the big problems, isn't it? You often don't even know that that you're doing something wrong. One of the most common ones I have seen in pharmacy, and this, this happens every single day in a hospital, um, and it's basically tablet splitting. Everyone knows that you it's a pain in the butt to take a tablet, split it up, and then put a label on it saying that this is half a tablet of, I don't know, metoprol, uh, 25 milligrams, because your patient only takes 12 and a half milligrams. So what do you do with the other piece? Do you just throw it away? Well, that's just a waste. You know that you get 25 milligram, sorry, 12.5 milligram tablets every single day, because you've got a Mrs. Smith today and then Mrs. Jones tomorrow, and or Mrs. Jones and Mrs. Smith may both be there at the same time. So what you land up doing is you start, you take that, you split it up, give half of it to Mrs. Smith, give half of it to Mrs. Jones, and then go on. Well, the fact is that if your system is set up so that it bills Mrs. Smith for the 12 and a half, then bills Mrs. Jones for a 12 and a half tablet, essentially it won't bill for 12 and a half because they don't exist. So you might land up in a situation where you're billing each one for a 25 milligram tablet. You're essentially double billing. You're essentially charging the government, if it's a Medicare patient, twice the amount of money for the same tablet. And people will go, well, it's just a tablet. Yeah, but think about how many metoprolols you're doing every single day. Right. Exactly. And, and that's just an example that happens every single day in every hospital. And, and people have to make sure that you're catching these. These are things people may not notice. Uh, over the years of being a pharmacist, I've seen lots of people doing this. I've had conversations with lots of people, and often I get the response, it's never been a problem. Why is it a problem today? Well, I'll tell you what, it's been uh, informative again, as you always are. Um, I'm excited to um, bring this kind of uh, attention to our listeners. Um, this is serious stuff. Uh, you know, blow the whistle. Just blow it, <laughs> but don't be a jerk about it, obviously, and be cognizant if your employees are, you know, out there and are concerned with stuff. Have an open door policy. Have something in place 
that is a process of reporting things. Even if, if, if you say, hey, we want to make it anonymous and you can drop just like the anonymous uh, drop box that you can have employees with employee suggestions or something, you know, don't don't leave it to, to chance, because if you don't have something in place as an employee or as an employer, there's going to be there may be problems that arise. So. But Darshan, thank you so much for your insight and your wisdom in all of this and, and being part of the Gavel and Pestle podcast. Thank you very much for having me. The Gavel and Pestle podcast, where the law of the land intersects with the business of pharmacy.